everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Black Famous, the show about music that black people know and white people don't. Um, I feel like I've been waiting all year <laughs> to re-record this episode. Uh, this episode was originally recorded last year, um, but the uh, feed got a little funky, and I was really disappointed because I was really excited about the particular song that we're going to talk about today. Um but I think it was kismet, uh, because instead of recording that episode then, uh, I get to record it this week after watching one of the, I think, one of the best made-for-TV movies I've ever seen. Oh, man, it was so good. Uh, Tana is back with me this week. Thank you so much for coming and coming back and recording with me this week. Um, you are a queen <laughs> uh, oh, stop. for just for, for stepping in like this in the clutch. Thank you so, so much. You are welcome. I'm always happy to be a ham on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you are not a ham. You are perfect. Um, so, oh man, New Edition. New Edition is the band that we're going to be, the group that we're going to be talking about today. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Are you excited? I'm very excited. Oh, man. Uh, this is going to be a good episode. I mean, I hope it is. I really do. Um, so I think first, um, well, we are going to talk about the um, the miniseries, which was uh, the new edition story that aired on B- BET about a week ago. Um, but I think we're going to start with the original crux uh, and the subject of this episode, which is about a particular new edition song called Can You Stand the Rain? And that was, uh, I believe, the second single off of the album Heartbreak, which was their first album without Bobby Brown. Uh, Bobby Brown um, found was in the founding group New Edition, left the group for a while um, because of things that we will discuss further in this podcast. Um, trash. And he is a trash garbage person. Um, and it's off the, like I said, it's off of the album Heartbreak, which was the first to feature the singer Johnny Gill. Uh, he ended up joining uh, New Edition at this time. And he was already really successful in his own right uh, as a solo star. Uh, but you know what? I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's talk a little bit um, about the history of New Edition. Now, before um, I asked you to listen to this song or watch the video or like before we even watched the miniseries, how much did you know about New Edition? Um, I knew that they were a young, they were a group of young black boys and then men um and i think i knew that they were somewhat contemporaries or in the realm of new kids on the block and i knew that it had been the springboard for bobby brown who was um who i knew i've basically known since he like the early 90s that he's a trash person so that's (laughs) uh and that like somehow by satellite like peripherally my prerogative was involved i didn't know like really that opening scene of the movie which we'll get to later like told me so much more oh yeah then i it like doubled the quotient of how much i do so now new edition um when i was a kid so heartbreak came out in 1988 i was born in 1984 um so i did not really i wasn't as familiar with um the Candy Girl era new edition which was that was their first album their first like big hit um, I always knew new like I always knew Bobby Brown and New Edition as separate entities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I kind of sort of knew when I was a kid that Bobby Brown used to be in the group. 
Um, but I didn't really appreciate that fact until they came out with the album Home Again, where they reunited and came out with the album Home Again in 1996. And then it was more like, okay, now I know that they, you know, they used to be together. Now they're this one big group again, and this is what it is. Um, so yeah, uh, let's talk a little bit about their like little origin story. Now, uh, New Edition is from Boston, Massachusetts. They formed in the Roxbury Projects in Boston in 1978. Um, I think the project building was called like the Orchard Park yeah, Project. Orchard Park. Um, <clears throat> and originally, who was in the group? It was Bobby Brown, Ricky Bell, um, Michael Bivens, and two guys named Corey Rackley and uh, Travis Pettis. Um, which I don't really, they don't feature them in the movie, I don't think. Um, and they mentioned their names. They mentioned their names. Yeah. Like, oh, we should get um, Corey, Corey and Travis. Travis. And they're like, right. nah, Corey and Travis, Corey, whatever. Um, and they don't really make any sort of appearance. Um, I, I, I think they were only in the group for a little while, and then they just sort of like fall off the map. Um, they were represented, like their manager was Maurice Starr. Now, you said New Edition. Uh, not new edition. You said new kids on the block. Yeah. So after a, uh, he really kind of fucked them up after their first album. Um, I think they ended up getting a record deal with his company through uh, winning like a talent show. Um, originally, another group, like a rap duo, had won a talent show, and the crowd was so outraged, and they kept yelling "new edition, new edition." Maurice Starr actually ended up giving them a record contract too. That was the prize for the. Um, for the talent show. Do we show. know what happened to that rap duo? We do not. Was it Millie Vanilli? It wasn't Millie Vanilli. Okay. <laughs> I Just would checking. I would love it for, for it to be Millie Vanilli, but it, it, it alas and alack was not. <laughs> um, so uh yeah, he fucked them royally out of their money. Um I think the whole thesis statement for a new edition should be read your contracts. Yeah. <laughs> Always yeah. read your contracts. And I feel like every time they get, ended up getting in trouble with contract stuff, it's just like, y'all didn't read right. shit. Right. Um, so they go on tour for Candy Girl, um, which came out in 1983. They go on tour. They travel. They do all these shows. And their moms are like, where's our money? So when they come back from their tour, they all get checks for $1.87. <laughs> like, for the entire year or however long it was of them being on the road, that's the pay that they got. And Maurice was like, well, you know, these are called recoupable losses and you're basically working off a loan to the record company and it's like all your travel and food and booking and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so they ended up, uh, I think they ended up suing him and they were like, fuck this guy. Um, yeah. So they part ways. So Maurice Starr in a sort of quote unquote revenge created new kids on the block right. um which basically was supposed to be new edition with white dudes right um and it's probably why I grew up, growing up in st paul i knew of new uh, new kids on the block and i mm, didn't know of new edition right um i think he actually had said um was on record as saying if new edition was white uh they would have probably have been yeah way more successful which i think is a really shitty but might I would say might be true only because um 
New Edition was able to successfully sort of bridge that gap between that teeny bopper sound Mm -hmm. and kind of get into that adult Mm -hmm. sound a lot easier than New Kids on the Block, even though New Kids on the Block is is a little bit uh, more well-known. But that's also strange because then you saw later, like, Boys to Men. I do know how many, first of all, do you know how many white people I know, like, would bow down before Boys to Men (laughs) and tribute and, like, offer, like... I, I know a, a, a very strange number of white people. Mostly, like, they're not usually into other black groups. Right. They fucking love boys to men. So, like, they will stand for them so hard. But I, so wonder, the why, most, I wonder why that is. I feel and like, they, like, know their whole discography. You know what? As cool what? as boys to men were, they are a special kind of black corniness. <laughs> <laughs> Like, especially with the transition from, their like, their first album to, like, End of the Road. You know what I mean? They change a lot from the Motown Philly, yeah, oh, yeah. and it's so hard to say goodbye, and then End of the Road, and I'll Make was, Love to You. They were a little more palatable as, a, as like, an R&B group. Because even yeah. if you think about how... You didn't even think about the vocals and the production on It's So Hard to Say Goodbye. It's like it's a more traditional... Like, doo-wop sound. Yeah, kind of. Um, but also with R and B in it, right? right like right. an R and B do up thing, and it's like fuck. Not ever having really thought about this, like I, you could maybe make a light argument for being more quote unquote ethnic, especially with Motown Philly on the album, yes. right? And then like by the time you get to End of the Road, it's just like your regular, like it's like, like not that. Not that I would ever confuse them hearing them, but it's like Babyface and Boys to Men. Right. They're like almost interchangeable. Well, and it's and it's funny that you mentioned Boys to Men because Michael Bivens, who is in New Edition, <laughs> discovered Boys to Men. Um and I think he produced that first album. So it's definitely a, like he was sort of like the hip hop rap fulcrum of New Edition. So it makes a lot of sense that it's a more hip-hop sort of sound on that first album um but i digress so the men who make up new editions uh ricky bell michael bivens bobby brown ronnie devoe johnny gill and ralph tresvant ralph (laughs) he is my favorite because he is the worst and the best (laughs) and also the worst all at the same time he's he's very cute he's very cute what year so uh we're looking at can you stay in the rain and i'm I'm today in 2017 as a 31 year old woman being like ralph tanzant was so cute in that video (laughs) you are so boy crazy So boy crazy. It's really unnecessarily true. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So uh, oh man, Ralph Tresman. He's the best. He's like the fucking best. He's the voice of an absolute angel. This man. Um, and the hips of a oof. A hips of a whirling dervish. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Uh, so candy girl first album uh the next album i think is self-titled new edition and that one has cool it now Mm -hmm. which is another really awesome song um so when they started out definitely very kind of teeny boppery um new edition their um the the group's name refers to that they're supposed to be kind of a new edition of the Jackson 5. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the, what they sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, most people that I've talked to who have heard those earlier new edition songs, 
they think they're Jackson 5 songs because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just arranged in that way and the voices are kind of similar. Yeah. Um, how, when did you first ever hear Cool It Now or Candy Girl? Oh, or... I probably heard Candy Girl and Cool It Now a couple of years ago when they went out on their more recent tour. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was a little bit before that because one of my roommates had grown, like she was old enough to have grown up when New Edition came out and she was almost probably close to the same age. Right. And um, so she, I think she and her sister actually went to one of the New Edition shows. <sighs> And so just like lost their whole lives. And it was really cool. But when she, we were talking about it, and she was just reminiscing. And so I started, I like listened to a couple of the singles. And then occasionally it comes on a playlist or, you know, like a Discovery Monday. Mm-hmm. You listen to ABC and Thriller, have some cool it now. You know, like- <laughs> Spotify knows what to do. <laughs> Spotify right. truly knows what to do. Yes. Uh, so they're kind of going along with the sound for a while. Um, after they break up with Maurice Starr, they end up signing with um, a subsidiary of MCA, um, which is a, a great scene in the movie when Michael Bivens finds out that they're actually signed to like an imprint of MCA mm-hmm. called Fastbreak, mm-hmm. and they're not actually really getting any money from touring, and they're right. basically, again, basically taking out a loan from the record company again read your fucking contracts right. yeah, <laughs> um not and just for music not just for music also for D- apartments yes read everything yeah. and if you don't understand what's being said find a friend that will understand it and will help you okay but on that real quick digression note who actually reads their itunes agreements true <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't the only one, but I knew I wasn't because I know I think yeah, I but you know what? Whole person. Who That's like that. not a music contract, though. But it's a contract. Anyway. It okay. We all do right. digress. I okay. I, I, I will look. Take a quick poll. Okay. I agree. I agree. Um, and that leads to uh, Michael Bivens approaching the like head dude at MCA, and they fire their manager, and they argue and successfully get their own recording contract with MCA. Uh, and make bajillions of dollars. So uh, the album Heartbreak, now after Cool It Now and um, Candy Girl, like after those two albums, their popularity is starting to become on the wane. The sound is getting a little roped. It's a getting a little trite. They're, they're growing up, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to change their sound around. Um, you know, they are boys becoming men. Ding, ding, please take note of what I just said for later on. Um, they're boys becoming men, and they want to sound more mature. They don't want to sound like little kids anymore. Um, so in a genius show of MC, like MCA, you have to hand it to them. They get Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who just came off of recording um Janet Jackson's Control album, mm. which was the album that made her transition from a little girl into a woman in, in a lot of people's eyes and ears, mm-hmm. and was an incredibly successful record. Um, they got them to produce Heartbreak, and that was just the best move in the world. Um, also, uh, Bobby Brown was becoming... Well, I mean, he was always a trash person, but he got into drugs and was fucking around. He got a girl pregnant. Like, it was just... Terrible. So um, after a fight had broken out, um, he was showboating at one of their shows um, and just, you know, creating a panic. Mm. Uh, They kick him out of the group. 
Um, he goes back to Boston. He's all despondent. He actually gets into like selling coke, and uh, MCA approaches him, and they're like, "Hey, you got kicked out of the group, but you're still under contract with us, and we're still obligated within the specs of the contract to offer you a solo record." Right. And this is basically what he's always wanted. He's right. he wants all the attention. He wants all the girls. He wants all the money. He, he just wants everything. So he ends up recording "Don't Be Cruel." Uh, MCA in a big oh this is like such a fucking boss power move they release Heartbreak and Don't Be Cruel on the same fucking day wow they released it on the same day um June 20th 1988 wow so I'm not sure if this was like a strategy play to play the groups off of one another. Um, it definitely makes for great drama yeah. for people to want to buy a record. Oh, like totally. Since he got out of the group so drastically and it was a big scandal, or like a fairly decent sized scandal, um, you, you wonder which is going to reign supreme. Yeah. Um, both of those albums did tremendously. Yeah. <laughs> So everyone ended up winning. Um, let me see if I can find the actual chart information for this record. I feel like I have it written down somewhere. Um, oh my goodness. It peaked at number 12 and number three on the US Billboard 200 and the rap al- uh, R&B uh, albums charts, um, selling 500,000 copies by August 19th, 1988. By September 28th, it was certified platinum in the same year. Um, And I believe it got a double platinum certification in 1994. I feel like by now, and by now I mean 2017, Mm -hmm. I believe it's gone quadruple platinum. Okay, when does it hit diamond? Is that at five? I believe that's at five. Um, If anyone wants to correct me on that, I think think it's at five. and it had five hit singles. Uh, if It Isn't Love, You're Not My Kind of Girl, Can You Stand the Rain, Crucial, and Any Heartbreak. Um, I believe Don't Be Cruel, just so we can get uh, the stats on that. Do, 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 do. Not Elvis Presley's Don't Be Cruel. Not interested. <laughs> Super not interested. <laughs> Uh, I'm not the hugest fan of Elvis, so I don't really care. <laughs> do, do, do. Charts. Now, for the Billboard Top 100, it was at 8. And at the U.S. Uh, Hot R&B and Hip Hop chart, I think that was number 1. Is that the song or the album? Yeah, I think that's just the song. The actual single. Yes, the actual album peaked at number one uh, at the Billboard 200 album chart, and it spot and, and uh, it had five top ten um, Billboard Hot 100 singles. So it did really well. And I mean, he is a trash person, but Don't Be Gruel is a very good album. Right, and he's a performer. Yeah, he, he's. I never thought he was the most vocally talented. Like mm-hmm. he has a fine voice. Mm-hmm. But his voice combined with his showmanship, mm-hmm. he is a very good performer. Right. He feeds into the crowd's energy. He's very sexual. He's very aggressive. Right. And it really plays off uh, plays off really well with his music. Um, but going back to uh, Heartbreak, which I enjoy more, <laughs> uh, it's also a fantastic album. I mean, it has... I, I actually listened to Control 
and uh, heartbreak back to back last week. And so many of the things that make control a classic album, it speaks the same for a heartbreak. It has that very, um, that Minnesota sound. It's R&B, it's funk, it's uh, like it has, it just has a, like a like a jazzy new jack swing about it, um, really complimenting how much they've grown. Um, also, when Bobby Brown left the group, the singer Johnny Gill stepped in to kind of take his place. Mm. Um, Ralph Tresvant was contemplating a solo career after Bobby left, and basically they were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Um, Michael Bivens, uh, him, they, the group and Johnny Gill go way back. So he reaches out to Johnny Gill and he's like, look, Tresvant's about to walk. I think you should join New Edition. Uh, and he says yes, uh, which was probably one of the best decisions that uh, Johnny Gill ever made because the addition of that smooth, smooth baritone, <laughs> Johnny Gill, call me. <laughs> He's so fine. So fine. Voice like silk. Really just brings another dimension to the whole group. Mm-hmm. So with the addition of him, like the sky's the limit. Um, so do you want to just... Go right jump into, into the, the song. Yeah, let's yeah. jump into the song. Let's go for it. Oh my goodness. So please watch the video for this song mm-hmm. <laughs> before you listen to this episode. Please. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually remember actually time stamping various parts of my notes. <laughs> like, okay, this is the part of the video when this happens because it's so, so ridiculous. It's just, it's very dramatic. Um, it's overwrought. Yeah. Or maybe, I don't know if it's overwrought. It is wrought enough. They hit peak rot and it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's just, there's so, like, it's like you're wringing out a sopping washcloth of emotion. <laughs> I feel like that's the best way to describe it. I feel, yeah, that's the best way to describe it. So we're going to jump right into the video. So it opens up with a uh, new edition. They're all in suits. <laughs> And they're large suits, like like a, Doug Funny suits. Yes, I was just about to say. Yeah, but like not when Doug Funny thinks he's blown up and and a balloon. They're Doug Funny when he's still skinny and scrawny, oh, and so the, do the you cloth re- is hanging off. So do you remember the um the episode of Doug where they're parroting uh. Oh, are talking, you talking heads? heads. Yes, yes, that and they're one too. and him and Skeeter yes. are wearing the big white suits. That's what these suits look like, but they're like khaki suits, and they're wearing very heavy, large leather coats oh my God. And, fedoras. and fedoras, and they're slowly walking down an alley, and they all sort of like join up together one by one. Who walks down dark alleys, fully clothed in suits, to meet up with their friends? The guys in West Side Story. <laughs> and then they have dance parties. Right. <laughs> like, I just feel like it's the black version of that. Sure. Uh, basically, uh, Ronnie looks like he's twelve. Like he's so tall and gangly and cute, but he, oh, he always is. he always looks. He stays looking like he's a twelve year old, and he has a leather Africa necklace. And I, oh my god, and I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the so at the beginning of the video, <laughs> Ralph Tresvant is looking at a newspaper. Okay, the <laughs> newspaper is a, it's called the California Sunset. The California Sunset newspaper. That's not a real thing. That's not Just a... For everybody who's never been to California or doesn't know anything about it, not a real thing. Yeah, no. Uh, so the headline on the paper is, New Edition, Have They Lost It? This is referring to... Bobby Brown leaving the group, the album that they had just put out, I think it was like an album of doo-wop covers or something, tanked. 
And I think this was their not very subtle way of addressing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you zoom up on to, you, I think actually you fade in to the guy sitting in a, like a recording studio and they're sitting around like microphones and they're all singing the song. Just looking so handsome. It's just like a field <laughs> of S-curls and high top fades. Oh, yeah. There's so Accurate. many beautiful fades mm-hmm. in this video. Ooh, they did... So they did fades very, very well in the video, and they also did them super well in the movie. Yes. They're just, like, tight. And although, you know what, you're not really going to film a music video with a shaggy-ass, like, fade. No. I mean, you're going to want that shit to look as correct as possible. It looks looks HD correct in a time when HD was not a thing. Yes. I think they went to the the barber that (laughs) morning. Like at four in the morning, and then commence <laughs> shooting the video on set. <laughs> on set, it's like, oh wait, wait, there's new growth coming in. Let's just like, let's just, just shape this line up. up real quick. Uh, so let's talk about some of the fashion in this video, yes. please, mm-hmm. because Johnny Gill, mm-hmm. ooh, who is just a man, mm-hmm. he's wearing these strange, almost like tweed or like just heavy. Wraparound pants? Oh. What are those pants? They're like, they're the thickest, and they also look like they have fins mm-hmm. on the side, and they're like sticking out. Those are cargo pockets, I bet. Are they? I really hope they are and are not. Also, Ricky Bell is wearing sunglasses <laughs> at night at various uh, parts of the I am always here. Wait, the Dwayne Wayne glasses? No, no, no. Ronnie is wearing the Dwayne Wayne glasses, but Ricky is wearing glasses and they have that white trim on the top. Those actually I was here for. Were you? I was here for that. I don't know. I just... I I, mean, at night though? At night, I just feel like that's very ostentatious. I guess. Uh, Also, I forget at what point in the video we see... Ralph Transvant with his rocking stick, but he has a giant Rafiki from The Lion King walking stick. And it speaks to... That man is short. <laughs> he is exuding dominance. I mean, I'm not sure if him and Johnny Gill were friends yet. Maybe. <laughs> like, an... we're good friends, like, after, like, you know, him getting into the group. So I feel like this is his way to, to exert his dominance. Here's an alternate theory. He had hip problems and <laughs> needed something to stabilize him as he swiveled around it, as he does, on the train tracks. That's the part. They're in an alley, but maybe also, or like a tunnel, like an, un, an underpass. Right. Because there are train tracks on the ground. He found a walking stick in a somewhat urban and or suburban area, like a walking stick that you find on a hike. It actually, it also looks like a wharf. Tracks. It looks like a wharf. <laughs> There's various parts oh, of, yes. various parts yes. of this video look like... There's an alley, there's train tracks, there's a wharf, just shady looking areas of Boston. Well, that's where you go when you're heartbroken. You hang out in alleys. The many times I've been heartbroken in my life, (laughs) you would not find my black ass in an alley (laughs) or a wharf. That's because you didn't have your four friends and their leather fedoras. No, I mean, (laughs) shit. I need to choose better friends. (laughs) Um, also, he's. I can wait, wear a leather fedora now. Wait, yes. no, nobody said any of that. Uh, also, so it's Johnny Gill who's wearing a giant leather blazer as well. Pretty sure my father has that blazer. The giant leather blazer that looks like they actually have real life football pads underneath. Yes. I was like, sir, are you running onto a field in order to play a game? Also, all of these sweaters. Pretty oh. sure my dad had all of these sweaters. These it. big, cable weird, Cosby-esque <laughs> sweaters. Just, I, I'm here for them. Pretty sure I've seen them in my dad's closet. 
Um, <laughs> they borrowed them from your father. Oh, geez. So at some point, they're uh, at a, like a cafe, and uh, Ralph angrily brings the newspaper to his friends, like, can you believe this shit? They're talking shit about us in the paper. And they're all like passing around the newspaper, and they're just like, man. <laughs> just various <laughs> shades of indignance. <laughs> Which is pretty, pretty, it, it's always funny to see uh, musicians act in yeah. music videos. Because they can't do it. Because they can't. <laughs> it's just terrible. There's all this overreaction, mm-hmm. um, very uh, expressive faces, but overly so. Yeah. Like the biggest reactions right. that you'll ever see. It's like a silent film, but with music that has words. <laughs> Right? Like, that's what you had to do in a silent film to keep people interested was just, like, overact to the extreme. Um, The thing that I, uh, like, with this cafe scene and also just the video in general, that at first I was like, if this is... Because I was kind of confused, right? You go into it and you're like, okay, can you stand the rain? They're saying things that can be applicable to literally any kind of relationship. Right. I mean, the the basic gist of the song is like, hey, we're going to have problems. Will you stand by me? Right. Yes. And so... Initially going in, you think like, okay, a group of five guys who's known for R&B singing about women, this is going to be about relationships with their partners, significant others, aka ladies. Uh, however, then you said earlier that the song was about like the band kind of like, can they, can they make it? Can they? And that's also I feel the like, conceit of the video. Yeah. That's like, what... Or like the other conceit of the video. And so I remember getting that like weird tension when I watched it and trying to figure out like, well, which one is this actually? Tan, it's about both can be about both totally their personal lives and the band exactly. and the, the way that the band's troubles affected their personal lives exactly it's all about relationships yeah just they're different kinds in right. this case um also i feel like i wanted to note so all of the um all the guys have lady friends in this video and all the women are trying to quote unquote stand by their men and console them in in these trying times there's all these great stills of like the men getting really frustrated and agitated about things in like one fell movement like okay buddies yeah and the women would just come out of nowhere and just be like oh baby i understand (laughs) they seem to say with their faces so we were saying that high top like high top fades are like at critical mass so are relaxer relaxer blowouts every woman in this video has the most glorious helmet of blowout relaxed hair just bouffant i think ronnie's lady friend has curly hair mm-hmm. she has like sort of that like wet and wavy look yes but everyone else just has like these very poofy blowout i feel like there was like a resident like dominican lady <laughs> Who was on set just to make sure their like blowouts were on point at all times? Like, here I am, my roller brush, mommy, come over here. There's some frizz, and it takes me back to when I did. Like, I have my hair uh, natural now. I cut it all off a little while ago, and I went natural. But I just saw the those ladies and their swinging hair, and I was just like, oh, I remember those times. <laughs> and just like, oh. I feel a kind of affection for that time. I don't ever think I'm going to relax my hair again, but I could definitely just see them. I was like, I remember. See, I there, remember. That was like that whole, just the way it stayed and, and also had all the volume and was puffy is just something that I crave in my own <laughs> hair. When it's long, it just hangs. I'm like, okay, that's that's not that great. 
The grass is always greener. Always, always greener. Uh, so yeah, so I think I say at, oh, at 212 and 231, I think are the best examples of terrible acting. So <laughs> at 212, two minutes, two minutes and 12 seconds into the video, Ronnie's girlfriend walks over to him as he's sitting in a chair and he's just brooding. And she just leans over him and just like cocks her head and is trying to emote with that cocking of her head. <laughs> I'll be there for you. But she just kind of looks like a bird. <laughs> like it's just sort of like, oh, cool. <laughs> Baby, are you all right? Yeah, basically. And at 2.31, Michael Bivens gets up and dramatically slams the desk. <laughs> that was my favorite because I noticed the calendar on the desk. And the calendar on the desk was, first of all, paper. And secondly, it was like the old office calendars where you've got those two metal curve bars. <laughs> In the middle, and you have to turn page by page, and each page is a full day. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, why do you, what are you getting so upset about over that office calendar? And based on, like, the size he of mixed, it, it He mixed up studio tag. Right. <laughs> it looked to be about, like, mid-September, based on how they had the calendar set in the video. He forgot somebody's birthday. I'm Maybe like, that's what happened. I'm just trying to think of all the yes. situations. Or she was like, you forgot our anniversary. Or he's, like, budgeting. I don't know. Or he's budgeting. I don't, literally, he's sitting in a home office. <laughs> Oh my goodness. What are you angry about right now? Um, I think with uh, Ricky's girlfriend in the video at uh, two minutes and 49 seconds, she has like a single tear. (laughs) (laughs) She she looks very, oh wait, so it was Ricky's girlfriend. I think that has the curly hairstyle, not Ronnie DeVoe. Um, (laughs) She has a single tear that just comes out her eye. He's like in some purple room watching a TV with a single neon light on. She comes in out of nowhere. Like from the shadows. From the shadows. She emerges. One single tear that hits her leather pump. Yes. I have that exact same written in all caps. Because what in the actual fuck? Also, he's looking at her like she shit on the floor. (laughs) You know when like a puppy just does something wrong and just look disappointed? He just looks mad. That's why she has that one single tear, because she knows she let him down. Oh. She couldn't stand by him properly in the rain. Yo, fuck him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Mm. we come to my favorite point in the song. Um, Well, this is the moment right before my favorite point in the song. Um, I like to call this... Well, let me get to it. So at 321, (laughs) Michael Bivens... (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Actually, no, no, no. Uh, scratch that. Reverse it. At 2.57. <laughs> at 2.57. <laughs> this fucking group. So there's a part where Ricky Bell sings. After all this, can you stand the rain? Will you be there for me? Can no. you weather the storm? Blah, 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 blah. No pressure. No pressure from me, baby. You can't sing this whole time about being there for somebody and then tell them, oh, there's no pressure, but I love you and I need you and I want you. No. No pressure at all. None. None at all. You don't have to do anything or be anything or you could just, you're just fine. No pressure. Ricky Bell. Look, dudes, dudes are not known for being um, clear. <laughs> or obtuse would be right. the word I they was looking for. They are very good at being obtuse. <sighs> so yes, then at 321, uh, the little break comes in the song. <laughs> and then Michael Bivens, like a fucking creep, <laughs> goes, come on, baby. 
let's go get wet. Also, <laughs> I, he's chief whisperer of new edition. He's grand high vizier of whispering for this group. I'm so angry. No. I mean, it does sound kind of sexy, but at the same time, gross. Nobody whispering in songs sounds sexy. I'm going to take this away. <laughs> Just blanket. Unless you are Isaac Hayes. And you already have that sort of naturally whispery Or Barry White. Or Barry White. Don't even try it. Because you sound like a bad porno. (laughs) And it's really, really, really freaking me out. Now, in the video, as well as in the recording of the song, when he says that, rain sounds appear (laughs) out of nowhere. He summoned them as Grand Hives here whispering. (laughs) Like a, a big bolt of like, like thunder. And then Black Zeus. Black Zeus. He's the Black (laughs) Zeus of New Edition. And then, and then, at 3.22, at 3 minutes and 22 seconds in the song, the best, absolute best moment in R&B ever happens. Do you know what happens, Tana? Um, hmm. Michael Bivens whispers again. No. Johnny Gill lets out this note that is the best in the world. And yes, I am slamming my glass on this table for emphasis because, okay, I'm not even going to try and recreate it right now because my I, I'm going to sound reedy and terrible. But I'm going to include the clip that I'm talking about in the intro to the podcast. I think... Um, well, I guess I'll relate it now because we we will talk about the movie or miniseries in a little bit more detail. But when you see them, uh, the scene where they're recording the song, everyone in the recording studio, the mixer, um, Jam and Lewis, they all look at each other, all of them singing. They look at each other and they know this song is going to be a fucking hit. Mm-hmm. Once he sings that, it's over. It's over. This yeah. is a, a, like it's officially the game is over. The, the just drop everything and go home <laughs> because it's so great. I remember listening to the song on the radio when I was a kid, and anytime it kept like anytime it came on the radio on like Kiss FM or anything, I'd have to stop what I was doing. Like if I was at home, I'd stop what I was doing and I would just stand in front of the radio and just sing along. <laughs> You didn't look crazy at all. Oh, not at Mm -hmm. all. Uh, Yes, that is pretty much my favorite, favorite part of the entire song. So after that part of the song, um, I felt really bad for Michael Bivens' girlfriend because they're actually standing in the rain when the (laughs) rainstorm happens. And all I could think about... Like, all I could think about as I was watching it was like, girl, your hair. Why doesn't this brother have an umbrella for you? You're going to ruin your blowout. Their manager stole their umbrellas. Well, their umbrella money. Oh, God. The umbrella budget just wasn't there. <laughs> There's no umbrella budget for this video. I'm so mad. <laughs> so, uh, gradually... Uh, we kind of wrap up the video with all the the ladies, you know, connecting with their guys, the guys sort of connecting with each other. Ralph Tresvant 
like crumples up the newspaper. Like he's Dick Tracy. Like he's a black Dick Tracy. Yes. Throws it off this bridge that he's randomly has been standing on for the duration of this video. <laughs> Contemplating this newspaper and just being angry. Yes. Uh, throws it into the river, whatever. Uh, and they all sort of join back up as in the beginning of the video walking down this <laughs> mysterious alleyway in their trench coats, but looking a lot happier, looking unified. And you know what? Can new, new, new editions stay in the rain? I think they have. I think they have. I think they can. Oh, you're saying back in time. Well, yes, at the end of oh, the video. Yeah. <laughs> you meant like today, and I was like, no. yes. No. <laughs> I was talking about the end of the video, not in general. My bad. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious! I just I, so I, yeah those those five plucky young men, they they'll be just fine. They'll be just. I have another fine. theory. Yes. That alleyway is a it's like a portal to a music video. What like Narnia <laughs> kind of like you you're they're just walking down the alley in their coordinated outfits. Maybe they just got done with their show, and they all of a sudden find themselves on a soundstage. Because the alleyway is a wormhole. Man, ain't nothing about Boston Narnia. <laughs> Touche. Um, sorry to <laughs> no, anyone listening in Boston. Boston. I actually don't give a flying fuck. So, womp. Uh, so, yeah, I love this But we're sure video. you're nice people. I'm sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever. Um, love you. Love Sam Adams. Love your beer. Um <laughs> So yeah, I really love this video. It's so extra in that really eighties oh, way. It's really, really a great video. Cream turtlenecks also cream is a thing. Cream colored turtlenecks. Cream colored turtlenecks. Not for white men. Don't do it, guys. But like <laughs> cream colored turtlenecks. And the tracksuits. I think oh, Michael Bivens is definitely wearing a tracksuit. Michael Bivens in the video, like I looked him up just to see, just to remind myself who like what he looks like now and he doesn't look now to me like he looked in the video in the video he definitely looks like somebody i may or may not have hooked up with um (laughs) at any given time and i kept doing like double takes because i had to remind myself that this was the real music video and not the like today music video where maybe he could be somebody like that knows somebody yeah it was it was a very strange also, with the Dwayne Wayne glasses, I kind of had to do the same thing. And I was like, hold on a second. You we are not in a different world. Wait, did you hook up with Dwayne Wade? Fuck no. <laughs> He's way older than me. And like, where would I know him from? <laughs> I also, just to clarify, didn't hook up with back in time Mike Bivens. <laughs> it was just somebody who looks like him then. You're Thank welcome, you. everybody. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so yeah, I feel like maybe before we get into the actual mini series, I keep calling it a movie. I know it was a mini series when they release it on DVD, which I hope they do. Oh, that'd be good. Uh, cause this, this was actually good. Like yeah. it was on a level of Jackson's American dream. Yeah. Good. I had very low expectations for this. Uh, I was hoping that it would be good. Yeah. But Why did you have low expectations? Well, look, BET <laughs> is not really known of late to, for uh, for producing quality material. Uh, I mean, was it meeting Mary Jane? Being Mary Jane. Like, yeah. the first season of it was fine. 
Uh, I wasn't a, like a fan of the game. I didn't okay. watch that show I at all. The game. Uh, but I, you know, I'm from the like early '90s mm. generation of BET with Video Soul mm. um, and what was that other show? The all oh, the reggae show. I think it was like Caribbean Rhythms or something. <laughs> I, I used to watch it on Saturday afternoons, and it was great. Why is it always Caribbean Rhythms? <sighs> like, why isn't it uh, Caribbean Horns? Caribbean no, Drums? Like, there's never... Okay, I feel like it'd be even more racist if it was Caribbean That's Drums. That's actually fair. <laughs> That's fair. But, like, Caribbean Rhythms, I always expect rhythms to have a Z, and it, should, uh, it will always be in some sort of, quote-unquote, island color. Like, oh, my God. If it was Rhythms with a Z, I would be so disgusted <laughs> and embarrassed. I'd be so or mad. even better, just Caribbean rhythms. <sighs> just well, great. you know what? The girl who hosted the show was Caribbean, so if she had said, "You gotcha. know, welcome to Caribbean rhythms," like I wouldn't have said is one thing been branded. Yeah, I wouldn't have been uh, that. Right, of course, that, yeah. that, that that mad about it. Um, you know what? No, you know what? Let's get right into the movie. <laughs> let's just jump. Yeah, I was just like, you know what? No, let's get into it. Because I was gonna bring up some other stuff, but I feel like as we're talking about the movie, it'll come in. It'll you know mm-hmm. get brought up naturally. Ooh. Uh, so what do you want to talk about first? Oh goodness. Well, just for a for like mild mild chronology. Well, actually, um, we're let's just I think maybe fashions and other nuggets that stood out who the fashion oh whoever was like the costume designer mm-hmm. for this mm-hmm. a tour de force yeah because they you, should they should get a oh man for this seamless seamlessly going from late 70s to the 80s to the 90s mm-hmm. like it's just yeah every outfit is fantastic yeah. and it's like nuanced in that way too right like oh yeah you everything does really blend Everything does really blend together really well, so you the you get a really good sense of how nuanced it is when they're growing up, mm-hmm. right? Because like it is really easy when you see somebody every day, when you work with somebody every day, to just kind of freeze them in time a little. Mm-hmm. And so you wake up one day and all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, you're 25 and you sound like your father. What happened? Right. When did this happen? Exactly. And so I think that was really... Um, one, they played out through the fashions really well. Two, just like production-wise, they they kind of seamlessly sewed that together. And then three, um, there was a third thing that I just blanked on. Um, the guys did a really good job, too. Oh, and, the actors? Yeah. The actors were magnificent. Yeah, they were. The child actors and the uh, teenage slash adult yeah. actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They aged them really well. Yeah. They did all of their own singing. Mm-hmm. The child actors plus the guys who played them so as teenagers slash adults, everyone sang. Mm-hmm. And it was really uncanny because I was wondering, I'm like, are they lip syncing? Because they sounded so close yeah. to what they actually sound like. It was really tripping me out a lot. <laughs> Especially that um, the guy who plays Johnny Gill... I think his name is Luke something or another. Edition movie. Luke James. Luke James, who I think is actually a singer. Yeah. And like a professional singer in real life. Yes, like Luke James. Sounds so much like Johnny Gill. It was scary. Like when they're doing the scene where they're performing Can You Stand the Rain? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Also, the guy who played Bobby Brown looked exactly like Bobby Brown. Um, his uh, name was Woody 
Woody McLean, I think, played the younger. And mm-hmm. no, no, Ty- Tyler Marcel Williams played young Bobby, and Woody McLean played older Bobby. Both of them look like Bobby Brown. Like the gap tooth, mm-hmm. the Gumby fade, like all of it. <laughs> oh, the Gumby fade. I have a lot of love for the Gumby fade. The Gumby fade. Okay, so before he shot the music video for um, Every Little Step mm-hmm. with oh, so much bike shorts. So much bike shorts. So much bike shorts. Just wolf with a capital wolf. Oh. Um, before they shot that video, they were giving him a haircut and they made a mistake and notched his hair. So that Gumby fade is an accident. No shit. That is a complete accident. Huh. That was not supposed to happen. Well, so when I saw it, and I'm sure you can have different levels of Gumby fade, but when I saw it, I was like, that looks real short for a Gumby. Um, because I was remembering, well, Tupac in yes. Juice. Yes, And my real life examples of gum- Gumbies, kind of short, kind of small. So I didn't really think about it, but I was like, interesting. He's got a little bit more of a, like he had a little bit more of an older Gumby fade, yes. I guess. Uh so I thought that was pretty hysterical. Um, That's, that is really funny. Oh, also, the guy who played uh, older Ricky Bell, Elijah Kelly. Uh, did, did you see the NBC Live The Wiz? No. Uh, who did to, he play? He played the Scarecrow, I think. Ooh. And he was fantastic. And I was just like, this guy looks really familiar. Oh, he's so cute. Too. He's super cute. All these guys are gorgeous Mm -hmm. super fine Mm -hmm. um but yeah i just remember looking at him and i'm just like you look really familiar you were in the whiz you played the goddamn scarecrow and you were killing it all these guys were insanely talented that's awesome yeah yes you can tell that they really casted this well also the music production guess who did the music production please say the roots no. <laughs> well, because they've been producing everything. Lately. They have been producing everything. But this is not their stuff. No. Right. Kenny, Babyface. Shut the Edmonds. fuck. Why didn't I know that? Of course I knew that. Yes. Of course that's a Babyface production. Yes. Okay. Also, Terry Lewis of Jam mm-hmm. and Lewis. Mm-hmm. So they did the music production for this, which is why every single song that right. was sampled was amazing. <laughs> um, the scene where... They are at the record release party for Don't Be Cruel mm-hmm. and Heartbreak. Mm-hmm. The right, this is the best commercial, like scene to commercial transition, I think, in the whole movie. So Bobby Brown is there with his like bevy of honey. Yep. And everyone <laughs> is kind of doing their own thing. Um, Ralph Tresvant is kind of arguing with um, one of the managers saying, hey, hey, I put my solo album oh, on right. hold for this. Why? I, like, Now I'm not going to get a chance to blow up because Bobby Brown is already blown up. Um, Jam and Lewis are over talking to uh, Michael Bivins mm-hmm. and Ricky Bell and Robin DeVoe, and they're basically planning Bobby. to do their own side project, yeah. BBD, uh, famous for the song Poison. And everyone is kind of doing their own thing. And Bobby Brown is by himself oh, with his girlfriends. Yeah. And he's just looking at all of them, mm-hmm. kind of having fun, but at the same time being with each other. Mm-hmm. And the song Me, Myself, and I is playing mm-hmm. over it. And I was just like, this is genius. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. Just every musical cue in this movie is plotted perfectly. Sort of. Like, my favorite musical cue in the movie, which I'm pretty sure you laughed at me for, but it's the wedding scene. Oh. And we'll get We'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to fine. that. 
We'll get to that because that scene is super important because I want to talk about that scene and the scene when they're um, when Michael Vivens is getting on the tour bus and a, yes. a young group of lads approach him. <laughs> so, okay. Okay, fine. Yes, hold on. Hold on to that nugget. Um, but what I didn't... Well, okay, you know what? I didn't like him. I don't like him. He's good in this movie, but that's only because he's playing... Mm himself yep and who am i talking about michael rapaport michael fucking lame ass rapaport i hate him so much i just i hate him yeah it's um it's not uh, he's the worst he's the worst he's the worst he's like and you're right he does play his own character in this like he or not his own character he plays himself in this movie he's just like his character is this classic white guy, like this classic asshole white guy where you know everything that's coming out of his mouth is just bullshit. And actually, more testament to him because he plays it really fucking well. Yes. Like, just everything out of his mouth is bullshit to the point where when he gets pushed to that peak, you know what's coming next and you don't want him to do it because you don't want him to, like, give you the satisfaction. Right. But you also know that he's that kind of shit shithead. Yes, 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 yes. Now, he plays uh, Gary Evans. Uh, who is their manager when they go over to MCA, but he's secretly, well, not secretly, he is the uh, leader of the of Fast Break Records, which is right. the imprint of MCA. Right. Um, and I don't know if he's a real person or just a conglomerate of, of people. people. Sure. Well, also, it's interesting that his character would be the, like the, over, the, the oversight to Fast Break because... There ain't nothing fast about Gary Evans and his management strategy. Oh, not at all. He's, and he's like not on top of it. Like you think of Fast Break and you think of like young, hip, fresh, and like maybe you could work that line between R and B and hip hop. And those kids, like those guys, had to fight to be able to include those elements in their act. Right. He's just not. He just he, he doesn't connect. No. Um, and he just and he doesn't get them. No. Um, a he doesn't great really try. A great scene in the movie is where they go to uh, they go to L A. Um, they're recording, they're acting like teenage assholes. They're like bringing groupies back to their apartment. Bobby Brown is getting into all sorts of shenanigans. And the original, um, I guess you would call him like their hand handler, choreographer, um, Brooke Payne, Mm -hmm. who is the uncle of Ronnie DeVoe. Mm -hmm. Uh, they actually have to fly him out to corral them because Gary can't do shit with them. Um, the parents lobbied for Brooke to be fired mm-hmm. with the whole um, when they were involved with the whole Maurice Star drama because right. they were like, "You're not handling our children well. You're not in, you're not looking out right. for their money. You're fired." Right. But it turns out that he's the only one that they respect. Yeah, for yeah, and I had a lot of like, I had a lot of thoughts about that, right? Because when the when the when their kids and their parents are like, or their moms are like, "You're not handling their money," one I like. I was wishing while I was watching that they would see that, that he was handling them too. Like he was a significant male figure in their lives. Right. Where like the show didn't really, the, the series didn't really show any other significant male figures in their life. Right. Like you see one older brother one time. And so when, when he's in there, he's got the attention of these five kids and they work because it's something they want to do, but they also trust him to help him do it right. and get there. And he keeps them on track. Like, he's their after-school anti-drug program. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And so he, but he says, like, he pretty much says as much to Gary when he, they fly him, when he gets flown out to L.A., yes. right? Like, he stands there and he says, 
you were never going to be able to do this. You didn't try. You don't care. You weren't there. You don't know them. Right. You don't know what they're going through. All he saw them were, saw the them. Signs. Yeah. He's just like, yeah. oh, you're like these just these kids from the hood that can make us money. Right. And it's also these kids from the hood. Yes. Right. And like you walk in as an entitled middle-aged white dude and like, well, everybody respects me. No, no, no. You have to actually earn it. Right. And you had, you never did. And you never earned it. Uh, so yeah, he's just, uh, he is the type of person that like takes vacations and I'm not talking about <laughs> Gary Evans. I'm talking about Michael Rappaport, the actor. <laughs> he takes vacations in black culture, mm. but that when like things get hard and like mm-hmm. actual issues present themselves in the black community. He's all about the respect of like the respectability poli- like politics and just like super just not in there. It's just like, oh, you're a white dude that really loves Tribe Called Quest. Hey, there are a lot of white dudes that like Tribe Called Quest. And you were tall enough to play basketball. Right. And... You were not the only one. Right. Relax. Right. Actually yes. be there for the interests of the black community mm-hmm. and not for yourself. Mm-hmm. Also, Lily Taylor, the actress, had to uh, get a restraining order against him mm-hmm. while they were dating in the in the 90s because he was a crazy person. Right. And he was, like, stalking her and shit. Right. And I uh, automatically am just like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. am not for you, sir. There's just, there's a way that I, he just tends to talk to people in a way he presents himself. It's just, like, completely just gross. He's, yeah, he's pretty fucking terrible uh let's see what else Ooh, uh i think a note that i took while watching the movie mm-hmm. when they're first uh signing their uh their contract <laughs> yes. with maurice star yes their signing bonus <laughs> now this is in 1982 it's 500 dollars and a betamax betamax and they all lose their minds lose their minds <laughs> it was it was fantastic but um, that was the other. So I think it's the scene right before that, actually, that I had noted. Um, because it's Christmas, right? Yes. And everybody's poor. And the scene, like, they focus in on Ralph at home with his family. And he and his sister are decorating a Christmas tree. It is a, it's not much taller than Ralph, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And it's, it doesn't have a whole lot of limbs, but it looks real. And it is a Christmas tree, and it's in their house. And so he, they're decorating it, and their mom walks in, and uh, she's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Where did that come from? And he was like, well, I saved up my money from where, whatever, like the talent shows he'd been winning or whatever, and said, I bought us a Christmas tree. And she... Oh, and his little sister helped, too. And his little sister helped, too. And, her, and his mom sort of looks crestfallen, and she gets very sad. And he's like, what's going on? I, there's a Christmas tree. And she says, you shouldn't have had to do this. Like, I'm not happy... I'm not not happy that you didn't that you did do it, but you should not have had to. And I I noted it for a few reasons, right? Like growing up as you always notice when people are portrayed as poor on TV because they're nearly always portrayed as sort of rumpled mm-hmm. or dirty, right? Or like dingy and living conditions are run down and like they they um, telegraph to you what this these characters' poverty is based on their surroundings and, like, the look of their clothes, right? And there was none of that in that scene. Like, these kids are clean. They're well-dressed. Their house is in order. It's not messy. It's not cluttery. Right. Every It's bright inside. The, like, it doesn't look like a trash heap, which is somebody who grew up poor. Like, when you see that reflected to you on TV and you know that 
like you start to think like there's a disconnect there right and so it was really nice to see just like the dignity in being poor yes the dignity in the poor like the dignity that they were afforded both as real people and just like the audience um whomever out there is watching it and like however you you're giving your audience the benefit of the doubt on both ends or like on all ends because you're basically saying like we understand that you're educated you are enough to know that people who are poor like can be fucking clean and pretty looking too like i don't know it just really it really struck me more because of how they actually presented the scene and i thought it was very well done um and then right after that we little ralph is a total class act and goes and calls and is like Oh yeah, because let's, Maurice Starr this record contract. was like, "Yes, I want this record contract." Yeah. He earlier goes uh, in the scene before those two scenes. Maurice Starr visits the apartment and yeah. is like, "Hey, I want to offer just you right. a record deal because you're amazing." Yeah, and yeah, Ralph is just—he's so devoted to the yeah. group. After all and of that, he, yeah, he yeah. goes and calls and it's just like, "No, I want that record contract, but it has to be the group." Right. Which is really also, and, and part of that, part of what Maurice said to him in that kitchen too was like, don't you want to get up out of the hood? Like, do you want to live in the project and forever? I, and this is the, the thing. Whenever young black men are, oh, are yep. presented with an opportunity to, to do better, to leave, mm-hmm. like, this, at several points in the movie, it's just like, this is our way out. Right. How are we ever going to move right. out of here? How are we ever going to move up? Right. And these are smart kids. Like, yeah. none of these kids they're are... hustlers. Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're little hustlers. Yeah. And I think even um, one of their bodyguards says to Michael Bivens, yeah. like, teenage Michael Bivens, he's like, you're a really smart kid. Like, you could go to college. Right, right. And is, is that the same scene where he's like, learn, like, don't worry about the contract. Don't worry about the music in front of you. Learn the back end. Yeah, learn, learn the business end, and that's where you're. That's where you will have staying power, and that's where you will have influence. Right. It's like it's like you. It's like, you, you, like you'll see broke musicians, but you'll right. never see a broke executive. Right. Right. Yes. You know, and I, and I, I really appreciated that because whenever, yeah. like I said, you see black men confronted with who has grown up poor, whether it be like a basketball contract mm-hmm. or a record deal, it's like here are these large sums of money. Mm-hmm. All you see is this is my chance to leave, yeah. and people exploit that. Yeah. Yes, yes. They um, bar they bargain with the fact that you are yeah. a human being and deserve to have a normal life. You deserve your you and your family deserve to have normal lives, and they yeah. will use that as a bargaining chip for you to lose your dignity. Right. Right. Yeah. So Ralph was like, "Nope, we, I go, we all go." None of this other BS. Um, and then I think maybe the next scene or a couple scenes later, my notes indicate that it may have been the next scene. There's like this meeting of the black moms, the, the thing that I call the meeting of the black moms. Yes, where it, the like, black mom coalition. Yes, where like they all get together and they're all just sort of sussing out the pros and the cons. And then you see the moms and the kids with Maury Star and Maury Star is trying to reassure them of things and they're firing questions at him. And he pulls out contracts and everybody starts to sign. And Michael Bivens gets up from the table and walks to the stairwell. And his mom, who's played by Yvette Nicole Clark? Uh, Yvette, uh, Yvette Nicole Brown. Brown, sorry. Yes. Uh, formerly of Community. Right. Um, which is important because she played a completely different person on Community and she killed this one. Oh, she was great. I mean, she killed both, but she was so she was just so 
so warm and believable as a mom who's not crazy like she played in community um and she walks into the crazy stairwell. <laughs> she walks into the stairwell and Bivens looks down and like down like sad and she's like what's wrong what's wrong and he says um I just I may never get a chance to play basketball again and she essentially tells him the same thing that his bodyguard later tells him which is like one basketball is great and you can play anytime you want here's a once in a lifetime opportunity and it could be a ticket to a better life like basketball is always going to be there but she even at this point like out of the two pipe dreams i'm going to give you music because that's right here it's right now it's right in front of you exactly and you can do it and you're smart enough and like i don't know it's just really nice to see an image of a mom be really supportive and smart let's see oh i'm so glad you talked about that it's so true Let's see. Ooh, let's talk about some really great lines in okay. the movie. I know we're jumping around, guys. Please bear with us. Um, we're just we're just talking. We're just we're talking, and there's just so many things to talk about. It's That's so great. Like you're hanging out with us, so like, and in our home, <laughs> and it's awesome. At the um, one of my, I think the best line. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're talking in Ralph Tresvant's apartment, and. Basically, he plays the group, um, his solo album, <laughs> which is called, I, I don't know if this is what it was actually called, because he releases it later. Is it called Living in a Dream? Yeah, look look, just, yeah. Um, so he's just like, yeah, this is my solo album, Living in a Dream. Uh, I wanted you guys to listen to it first. And um, Bivens, DeVoe, Bell, they're all sitting there, and they're like, this <laughs> what is this? What is this even? How could you do this to us? <laughs> and he's like, oh no, like we could be like, uh, and this is also what I say about music cues. The scene before then, or two scenes before them, Tresvant is talking with his, uh, I feel like it's his wife now, mm-hmm, Lena, mm-hmm. and they're unpacking their apartment, and you can hear in the background is yes. Genesis. <laughs> so fast forward to the scene where he's talking about his solo album. He's like, oh, it's not a problem if we have new edition and then I go solo. We could be like, we could be like Phil Collins in the Genesis. <laughs> and then Ricky goes, we can't be like Phil Collins in the Genesis. You don't even play drums. <laughs> I laughed so hard. <laughs> and just like how it was. It was just really, it was hilarious as they do it, just because of the indignance that is telegraphed. Like, Ricky Bell is so fucking insulted that he was like, no, we can be like Phil Collins. It'll be great. And he's like, motherfucker, what? This doesn't work at all. It's his whole face makes it. It's pretty terrible. Also, when Gary is talking to the ladies about, hey, Gary, where the fuck is our money? Where's the money? Where are the kids' money? They're looking through all the financial statements from the year, and they're like, where did all this money go? Mm-hmm. So one of the moms goes, you talking to us like you think we're stupid. And Gary's like, oh, uh, well, I wonder what gave me that idea. And I was like, sir, <laughs> you are in a, a apartment mm-hmm. with all these black mothers in mm-hmm. here? Man, you better get yourself right. 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 You are brave. <laughs> you are so brave. And I just remember all the women looking at each other like, this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> we will kill him. Absolutely. He needs, he better get out the house. Um, the parenting standard, my favorite, the, can't you see I'm on the phone? Oh my goodness. Mom, 
Mom, mom, get up. Ooh. Can you not see that I'm on the phone? I got so many times that was yelled at me. That's just like, that is a mom line. I think it's passed down through mom DNA <laughs> where you just have to yell at your kids because like it's inevitable. They're going to bother you while they're on the phone. Also, how come kids just haven't learned by now through like genetic osmosis through the ages? Because kids are annoying. Kids will always be annoying. I was annoying. I'm probably still I annoying now. I did that same now. scene. I, re-enact- I acted out that same scene with my mother as a six-year-old. How come kids just don't learn? Because they never do. Through the air. <laughs> Through um, the air. There was another one, and I it was it's really heartbreaking. Like I'm always the one bringing up the sad shit. But uh, after, I don't know. It's not really. Anyway, there's a line where Xena, Ralph's girlfriend, really needs him to be there for her. And yes. he... It's not her telling him, it's his mother telling him. Um, And so she's on the phone with her son, or he's on the phone with his mom, and he's backstage, I think, at a show. So he's got, like, a sequined blue tuxedo on. I just need to point that part out, too. Um, It was a beautiful sequined blue tuxedo. So good. It's the color of the ocean. And he's on the phone, and he's like, "I I can't go now, Mom. Like, I'm on the road, I'm touring. And she's just very quietly, she's doing dishes, and has the phone cradled on her shoulder, she just very quietly says, well, I'm sure she'll understand. Do what you need to do. I'm sure she'll understand. She always does. Behind every black man is a strong black lady who has had to put up with his bullshit. Yep. Every single time. (laughs) Every time. With various uh, significant others in this Mm. movie, with uh, with all the guys, Mm -hmm. there's always this element of like, all right, I get like I'm, I'm right. here. Right. I'm trying. Right. It's ugh. this is your career, and it's going to be the best and worst thing that ever happened to uh, that ever happened to you. But I'm I'm gonna be here. I'm going to be. Here. I mean, I feel like that's just like when it's you're like involved with everybody. It, yeah, it's like it's your cross to bear. Yeah, and I think I mean a lot of it also probably has to do with creatives because creatives are mercurial. Yes, and so you know, as somebody who's like getting into something with a creative, that it's probably going to be misery at some point or for a lot of times. Hey, man, this is why I stopped dating writers. <laughs> no, I can't. I just have two. They are my downfall. Um, uh, I think. I think I also said as we were watching the miniseries, it's three episodes. Um, I kept saying to myself, "I'm like, man." I think this is actually a line that someone says. New edition, they're great together, but they could never get their act together. Yes. Yeah. It, it speaks to the brotherly nature about them. They can never... They, they get along well. They sing together amazingly. They have a harmony. They have a connection. Mm-hmm. But when you have that many egos at play, right. it's just always going to end Badly. Badly. Well, and it's well, it's kind of funny too, because like if you look at it, there were a couple different times where they were tested in that manner. Mm-hmm. So one is when Maury Star goes to Ralph and is like, "I take you," and he then calls back and says, "You take me, you take everybody." And I think part of that is pulling us all out of the hood. But I also think that Ralph was kind of grateful for them because they approached, or two of the kids approached him and was like, "Do you want to sing with us? Because you're the best, right?" Right. And so they like gave him the platform to then like jump off of, and then later is when. Bobby and Mike get into that fight. They get into a fight in a in a limo, basically, or like outside of a limo. Uh, Mike spits at Bobby after his foot gets run over. Bobby hops out the limo, like out the roof of the limo because he's Bobby. And then they proceed to pummel each other. And afterwards, like Michael, I think, runs off or something. And 
um, they go to Bobby and they're like, well, Mike can be out of the group. Gary, I think, says that. He's like, we'll yes. toss Mike out of the group. And everybody's really, really upset and they're really, really downtrodden. And then Bobby says, no, that's not how this works. You, like, it's going to be fine. Let him back in. Yeah. Now, one, probably because Bobby's a manipulator and that's a power play. Two, they're all still friends. They're yeah. all still brothers, you yeah. know. They can't get it together. But, like, you're going to you're gonna knock somebody's lights out every once in a while. Exactly. And then later, that's when that ultimate betrayal comes in, when Gary comes to the thing after Bobby's been fucking up and starts that fight on stage and they can't find him and all this other bullshit that he's been pulling. And Gary comes to the bus and he was like, this is, this is it. It's either him or you guys. And, like... You Which have to figure out, and he he needs to be out of the group. And I don't think it was fair, and I think it was mostly Gary. But like they all kind of turned their backs on him, and were like, "Well, we got to do, what we got to do." Yeah, but, but it I, was like for the good of them all. But also, it was for the good of the group because yeah, yeah. he There's was no doing Bobby. Yeah, he was doing a lot of drugs. Not to say that the other guys weren't like drinking right. and acting but up. He was being a, but trashy. he was being a trash person. Yeah. Um. Like, he was being an asshole. So fully. I mean, the whole fighting with Mike thing, sure. But fucking up on stage? Yeah. That's a big fucking deal. Um, Also with the pregnancy thing. I mean, Ralph had gotten his girlfriend pregnant, but she had lost the baby. Right. Um, Like, there were just so many issues at play. And ego, um, Bobby Brown's ego was so huge, he had to go. Yeah. He had to go at some point. It's true. Um, So they did, um, after Heartbreak got recorded... They didn't record another album uh, until 1996. Um, Belle Biv DeVoe was a thing. They released Poison. Johnny had his own album. Ralph had his own album. Both did moderately well um, on Johnny's. His like hit single was My, My, My. And um, for Ralph Tresvant, his hit single was Sensitivity. But I think the uh, their second al- solo albums tanked. Mm-hmm. So by the time they got together to record Home Again, none of them, but when they went on tour, all of them were in debt. I yeah. think except for, except for Michael Bivens, because he right. was a producer. He right. became a producer afterward. Oh, we didn't talk about the musical cues, our favorite musical cues of the movie. Oh, well, not we're fa- doing that now? Not favorite musical cues, but now that I'm thinking about it, mentioning Michael Bivens as a producer. Yeah. So I forget after which show it is. But they're doing a show. I think they're in Philly. They're yes, they're in Philly. Yeah. They're on tour for were they on tour for Heartbreak? I don't remember. I don't remember. Anyway, so they're on tour in Philly. They're getting on their tour bus. Michael Bivens is getting on the bus. And a group of young black men mm-hmm. are behind him. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, we really love New Edition. Mm-hmm. You guys are awesome. Can we sing for you? We're a group and we're trying to get, you know, someone to listen to us. And he's like, man, he's like, I don't know if I could do anything for you, but you know what? Sing. And it's a callback, just real quick, I don't want to interrupt, Mm. but it's a callback to like one of the earlier scenes in the movie where all five boys get together and they're practicing in the living room and it's not going all that well. They're just like two stepping and it's really upsetting. And uh, um, the older sister, is it? Is it Michael or Ricky's older sister? It is Ricky's sister. Okay, so it's Ricky's older sister, and she's like, this is, like, y'all are just playing foolish children's games right now. Like, what you need to do is get a manager. And they're like, but how do we do that? Like, where do we do that? And she tells them, she says, you need Brooke Payne. And Brooke Payne does all these talent shows, and he's helped all these other groups win, and he's done this, that, and the third. So then they go in search of Brooke Payne. It's, again, five young boys running down an alley in a city, and they come up 
to this dude who's got a, a lady under his arm and they're just canoodling and kissing also, and giggling. Also, he has a jerry curl. He's got a very wet jerry curl. He has an Eric LaSalle Ooh. level wet jerry oh, curl. Lord have me. <laughs> and, and they, he like, he and this woman like, pour themselves into this boat of a car that he's got parked in this alley and they're starting to fool around. And but before he can before he can pour himself fully into the car. Sorry, they're just like touching each other. Um these the boys run up and they're like, excuse me, your book pain? And he was like, and and they were like, we want you as our manager. Will you manage us? And he's like, I don't work with kids. And they were like, but wait, we'll sing for you. And he's like, I don't work with kids. So they block his car as he starts it and is trying to move. And they start singing for him and they sing a whole song for him. And by the time when they're done, he pokes his head out the window and he goes, be here nine or be at the rec center, 9 a.m. sharp tomorrow morning um, and be ready to work. And also, if you ever stand in front of my car again, I'm going to run you over. But like, that's their way in. They find him outside of a fucking club late at night. Why are you even outside? You're too young. Exactly. Anyway, how did you get downtown? How did you even leave your houses? Found him outside of a club late at night, pestered him, badgered him, sang for him. And that's how they got their contract. So, fast forward back to Philly. Sorry for that interruption. Oh, no. That is a great... No. Don't be sorry at all. Because <laughs> it's totally relevant. So, deja vu. or in this alley or, like, in parking the parking lot. lot. So, they start... The young men start singing can, like an acapella version of Can You Stay in the Rain. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And Michael Vivens is like, damn. Mm-hmm. So, they're talking. And I think they might have given him um, a tape like a demo tape so he's like oh so what do you guys call yourself Mm -hmm. it's like well it's sort of silly but we named ourselves after one of your songs after heart on heartbreak (laughs) we call ourselves boys to To men men. (laughs) boys to fucking men oh my god which is i was so happy that they that they had that scene. Yes. Also, so Tana goes, hey, there's a lot of guys right here. Is it? Mm, yes. Who is this? Is there an extra person there? There was, because there were four boys to men. Like, in popular, there were four boys to men. So I go. But there are five in this scene. And there are five in the scene. I was like, yes, because one of those guys leaves to go be in another group because he was too impatient because Michael Bivens took his time with producing that album, their first album, Motown Philly. So he, this guy gets really impatient and leaves and gets into another group. And you know what that other group is called? As, As Yet. yet. So <laughs> it is like R&B group inception here. Uh-huh. And I was freaking out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so, so excited to, to share that nugget of knowledge. It was really exciting to share this moment with you, though, because they come up to sing, and they're singing, and they're singing, and they're singing, and I, like, I had this kernel of a thought that was like, okay, I know this kind of, I these acapella vocals are clean, they're crisp, they're, they're the kind, like, I remember the way my mom used to talk about boys to men's acapellas, and it was kind of it's like that meme like get you somebody who looks at somebody like somebody like somebody yes but that's how she talks about boys to men's <laughs> like blending oh my goodness so yeah so i i'm listening to them and they're singing and i'm like wait this no what maybe blah, blah, blah. and i'm going through this whole process and as soon as he says what do you call yourselves and they start naming like each other and he gets to wanya and monique and i look at each other we're like what we knew 
good. And we just had this moment of like, oh my God. And Inception exploded all over the apartment. Wanye is wearing a yellow sweater. (laughs) I would know that yellow sweater wearing man anywhere. He wears such bright colors. Like early boys to men, they always wore like this sort of like preppy east coast thing and he always wore bright colors so i saw that brother in that sweater i was like "Mm -hmm. you don't gotta tell me his name i know his name (laughs) that's one yeah Uh, so yeah, that made me really, really happy. Another musical mm, cue is my fist. So uh, there are a number of songs that irritate Monique that I love them so much. <laughs> and so, okay, it's towards the end of the movie, and they're at a wedding, and um, they're at um, Ronnie DeVoe's wedding. They're at Ronnie DeVoe's He's wedding. He's marrying, um, I think her name is Shamari, yeah. uh, this woman who was in the girl group Black. Right. Yes. Thank you for including that part. So they're um, at this wedding. It's the first time the guys have seen each other and been back together, I think maybe since the Arizona show. Ooh, yes. So um, before you get started on that, the Arizona show. So they were on the tour for Home Again. And before they could get all the money that they were supposed to be getting, like $30 million, Mm -hmm. they had to complete a certain number of shows. They say 13 in the 13 shows. Mm -hmm. Bobby Brown has already missed four. They're nine shows in. Bobby's yes. missed four. Mm-hmm. They have to hit 13. They have to hit 13. So at this one show, so it's new edition will go on first, and then all the separate people will go on after. BBD, Bobby Brown, Johnny Gill. Like all of them have their little solo day in the sun or whatever. So Bobby, of course, is taking up all the time on stage. Ugh. And his set in goes- In a red leather shrug. He has the oh, nerve no. to do this in a red leather shrug. Okay. It's, his set goes long. I hate, I hate that fucking shrug. It looks so <laughs> awful and tacky. And all of his nasty body rolls, just gross. <laughs> anyway, so Ronnie, who is usually like the very composed one, is pissed as fuck. And he's like, he's always doing this. Mm-hmm. So he goes out on stage and is like, oh, BBD is coming on. So Bobby angrily leaves the stage. Um, they start performing Poison. <laughs> Bobby and his friend, his friend is like, oh, you gonna let him clown you like that? He's like, nah, nah. Runs over to a like fire hose, hose hydrant thing and is going to start spraying water on them. Thank God it didn't work. Right. Rushes on the stage. Everyone gets into a fight. The fight spills over into the backstage area. Someone, someone pulls out a gun. Uh, someone pulls someone out a freaking gun. gun. Thankfully, like shots were fired. No one got hurt. But Brooke Payne ends up having a heart attack. Yeah. And they ended up having to scrap the tour. Right, right. And it's like the one time that you see Rod, Rod um, oh my God, Ronnie, lose his shit. Yeah, because his uncle, don't yeah. forget, Brooke Payne is his, his uncle, uncle, is, you know, he's afraid that he's going to die. Right. Um, so everyone is just in shambles. Yeah. Ricky Bell at this point has a drug problem, which yeah. I didn't realize that was going on. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know until we watched the movie that Ricky Bell had a drug problem in, uh, the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone is just kind of fucking up. Yeah, it's bad. And so then Ronnie's getting married and this is after like, he was all stressed out and he didn't want to commit to anything. And then Shamari came in and she was like, look, I know you're all upset. I have my whole like lady brigade behind me, whatever that the bridesmaids. I have my bridesmaids. You don't have your groomsmen. You need to talk to your dudes. So all of them get together. They have a happy reunion. Um, Brooke is there. Everything is wonderful. 
And then they get to the reception scene. And I think they're all like sitting around trying to assess their adult lives yes. and do some do some rehashing, soul, 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 soul searching. searching, some a lot of that like, you know, we may not be related, but we're still brothers type talk. And the music kicks up in the background and it's motherfucking Let's Get Married by Jagged Edge, which is the best song of the early 2000s. It's also the most insulting. I mean, fine. But, and also... We ain't, okay, one of the lines in this song... <laughs> we ain't getting no younger. So we we ain't getting no younger, so we might as well do it. Look, Let's get married. Yes. Fuck you. Okay? <laughs> Look, to each their own, who Tana, are we to judge? Tana... Who are we to judge? Are you serious right Somebody, now? that might have been something that some lady was like, yes, I feel that. Let's just go to the altar. You know, I know somebody who got married at a drive-up window in Las Vegas. To each their blessed own. You're only saying that because you like this song. Get out it of is here. A, it's a fa- I also have just ridiculous memories tied to it. And I can't. They, of course, involve a boy. And they, in course, they of course, involve 2001. Oh, God. So, <laughs> so also, so that song, Let's Get Married. Now the 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 one that everyone the version that everyone knows yes. is I call, just call it the fast version the remix. It's the only version that you need to know about. Yes, because the original single of the song terrible. is a slow ballad, and it's, it's terrible. It's awful. I didn't even know it existed. I it fifteen years of me not knowing it existed, and then I looked up. The song, and I was like, wait, remix? And so I clicked on the original, and I was like, oh, oh I no. wish you'd never had to do that. <laughs> I feel so bad for you. I, I'm so, I'm, I apologize <laughs> that you had to find out in that manner that the original version of Let's Get Married is trash. All that matters is that the remix is there. Oh, All boy. that matters. So the fun thing about that is now the that song let's get married is off of the album called je heartbreak mm-hmm. which is named after the song ne heartbreak mm-hmm. from the album heartbreak yes. because one of jagged edge's biggest influences was new edition not surprising so but new edition did it better yeah Sorry. yeah but let's get married is a fire track and i will hear nothing else about fight me oh my goodness i just no <laughs> I, just, I will not fight you about it. We'll just disagree. Someday we'll, someday I'm going to get married and that will play and everybody will dance and it will be fine. I'll dance, but I won't be happy about it. <laughs> you just, I need you. I'll be so mad. I'll just, imagine. whatever. Um, <laughs> let me see. Any other fun tidbits? Ooh, okay. I have this in big, like, capital letters on my notes. Talk about the four ball jacket. <laughs> So in the, I feel like late 80s, early 90s, eight ball jackets, eight ball leather motorcycle jackets were really popular. Um, I don't remember who's wearing it in the movie. Do you remember? I want to say it was, I want to say it was Mike. I really do. I think it might, it might have been Michael Bivens or Ronnie DeVoe. Yeah. (laughs) One of them is wearing a four ball jacket. And I wasn't aware that was a thing. (laughs) Like, Four ball jacket? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd only ever really seen the eights. And so we obviously started speculating um, as to why that would have why that would have made it in the movie. Like, was it they only had the budget for one scene of an eight ball jacket? They couldn't buy an eight ball jacket, period. Like, I mean, this was a fairly expensive looking production. So I'm wondering if it's just like, look. Yeah, it is a four ball jacket. Um, and you know what? Google is not 
it's not really coming up with anything except that one scene that we saw. So I wonder if it was if it was a continuity error. Maybe. Okay. If anyone who listening to this episode, <laughs> can you please find a way to get in touch with me on Instagram or Twitter? Eatness bitch is my handle. Please help me find out this mystery of the four ball jacket. Okay. Um, and apparently Charlemagne the God was the one who who posted that my that he noticed this. Just some facts. Ugh, I hate Charlemagne the God. <laughs> He's also a terrible person. I know, okay, I feel like on this podcast, I spend a lot of time talking about people who are the worst. And it sounds mildly melodramatic, but take heed. Trust me, most of these people are the worst. <laughs> if you trust no one else, trust Monique about this. Just about, literally only about this. I'm real unpredictable when it comes to like literally everything else, except for like food matters. Please trust me in this. These other people that I'm talking about are the worst. Um, let's see. Is there anything else we want to talk um, about? I want to say, let's see. I got the red leather shrug. Um, Ralph Tresvant and his, his little karate thing going on in the morning, in the beginning of the movie. Oh, when he's like so a cute. baby. He's basically a toddler <laughs> and he's doing like Kung Fu on top of what looks like an electrical transformer box. Or like a generator. Or like a generator in the middle of the courtyard. You know, like how kids do. Like how kids do. And he, we referenced, like, I saw it and I was like, oh, how adorable are you? And then he hopped off. Yeah. Ooh. Um, did you have anything else to say about that? I just didn't want to forget my thought. Uh, go for it. Oh, so when I was talking about side groups, when I was talking about, you know, BBD and all of that. I also forgot to mention, now this was around, I think maybe right after Home Again, um, Johnny Gill was in his own little supergroup called LSG. Now, that was Gerald Levert, Keith Sweat, and Johnny Gill. (laughs) (laughs) And they had a a fairly decent hit song called My Body, which is... (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, that song is great. It's not really, but I love it. my body and all i think of his body rolls shiny man body rolls. <laughs> look if you listen to that song you'd be doing a body roll or two as well that's probably true okay oh i do want to talk about just like how just uh, how corny these little boys were so bobby has the signature move which is basically his pelvic drilling which i prompted me to send monique a text today and just be like i'm pretty sure bobby was never any good at things because he um you can't be good at sex and make that move with your pelvis. Like, it's scientifically <laughs> impossible. Yeah, no, Number it's not one. attractive. And then he does, like, this lip-licking thing that's very, <laughs> like, vulgar. And not vulgar in, like, a sexy way, but vulgar in no, just, just, like, like a creep. Ugh. In, like, a really creepy gross Yeah. Porn. Like, yucky porn kind of way. Um, but my favorite, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite iteration of this. And that's also kind of how this the group sort of gets started a little, too. Because at the very beginning, right, um, when they go to talk to Ralph... Um, is it Ricky who's like, I'm going to go talk to that girl for you. Yes. Don't worry about it. And he goes to talk to Zena and he starts macking on her. Yep. And then Ralph is like, what the, mu-? no. And he runs over and he starts singing to her. And then it's just this really cute little, this really cute little boy crazy or girl crazy boy thing. But later they're performing and I think they're performing Candy Girl. And I think they're at, were they at Roseland? Yes, I think so. Okay. And so they have these masses of screaming girls in now, front of them. Now, sidebar, this is Roseland in Oregon. Okay. Not Roseland in New York. Because I originally, when we were watching it, I was like, 
New York Roseland. Apparently there was one in Oregon. So. Oh, all right. Well, that's good to know. So they're there and there are these masses of screaming girls in front of them. And I don't remember which one it is. Um, but one of the boys, like he's over on the edge of the stage and he just sort of kneels casually into the into the audience and he looks at this sweet young woman who's got to be at least three years older than him. And he like winks at her and he's like, can I get your number? And all you see is Brooke run off from the edge of the stage with his hand and be like, Brooke, get back in line. Right? And just like, no, this is not the, oh, what am I going to do with these children? Like, how are you macking at the show? <laughs> you are 12 years old. That's because he had games. Ugh. And Brooke was trying really hard to have them not have game. Ugh. Clogging their game. Also, also, that show, on the, who, two other people on the bill, Curtis Blow. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. And Madonna. <laughs> so imagine you're like 12, 13, 11-year-old boys. No. You're going on stage on a bill with Curtis Blow and Madonna. That's bananas. Like, that's bananas to me. And also, Curtis Blow was mad. He was so angry. <laughs> So, but he had a really good hat on. Um, he did have a great hat. He had a wonderful hat on. The last, so the last, 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 last thing that I want to say, there's a guy at the beginning of the movie who was a, um, he was like an MC at one of the local talent shows. Yes. And he had the most beautiful gold leaf jacket on. Oh my goodness. And it reminded me, you have a sweater that looks exactly like that jacket. Yes. I'm glad you said it because I thought it too, but also that's a lot to say about a tuxedo. It was a tuxedo jacket yes. with a black base background and like gold leaf Like filigree. Like filigree, thank you, leaves on it as a print. Yeah, as I was watching it, I was like, I know exactly where that print is from. <laughs> it's on my sweatshirt. Yes. <laughs> but like that was 1980, <laughs> 1979. Look. <laughs> <laughs> Look, your, your, I love this sweatshirt. Your style transcends time. Thank you. That and his like little puff of afro. I was just like, sir, you are doing the most at this local talent show tonight. You are giving 110% of yourself. Okay, so I'm trying to... Let's let's look at some of the talent that was mm-hmm. in this movie. I'm just like looking at the cast list and I'm just like, mm-hmm. this was just like a movie of this black awesomeness. Excellent. And yes. lots of really good character actors. So yeah. um, on Love played Maurice Starr. Mm-hmm. And Faison Love is like the sweatiest <laughs> human. <laughs> he's Monique. so he's so sweaty. Monique. He's so sweaty. And the reason why I'm pointing Not out that he's nice. so sweaty, one, because all the lights looked hot. <laughs> hot so as hell. Um, it also fit his character. Mm, I think he's yes. kind of like a slickster. Yep. He's super shady. And he's kind of shady. He dresses in like he has like a fur stole of on course he does. in one scene, and he just looks like hot and just like his <laughs> his curl is frizzy. Uh, who else is in this? Um, oh, Julius. Fr- I find his real name. I'm sorry. Who was Brooke Payne? Uh, Wood Harris. Wood Harris. Wood Harris. Who was on the wire? Yes, and he was in Remember the Titans. Yes. Um, and he's just. Phenomenal. He's like, great. He brings the best gravitas of anybody in a TV miniseries yes. I think I've probably ever seen. Uh, we also have Lisa Nicole Carson, who is on Ailing Beale, and mm-hmm. she plays uh, Ricky's mom. Lala Anthony, yes. uh, she plays Flo DeVoe. And she's so she's good. Great. She's great. hilarious. She's fucking but awesome. She's also just good. Yeah. Um, Monica Calhoun, who is in Players Club and The Best Man. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see who else. Dwayne. Where? Who? Monica, she's, she plays Ralph's mom. Oh, my God. She was in The Best Man. 
And uh, the Players Club. And in the Players <laughs> Club. Dwayne Martin, um, who is married to Tisha Campbell, mm-hmm. um, who's, oh, he's been in like everything. He was also in a uh, Boys to Men video. He was in the mm-hmm. I'll Make Love to You video. Um, who else is in this movie? We said Luke James. Yep. He's a singer. Um, oh, um, Wesley Jonathan yep. from City Guys. <laughs> yes. From the classic <laughs> NBC after Saturday afternoon TNBC yeah. show City yeah. Guys. TNBC. <laughs> yes, I was reading off a cast list and I recognized his face and I said his name and Monique turned around and went, From City Guys? And I knew then that we'd be friends forever. <laughs> because that was such, that was not also, a good show, but it was my favorite. Also, this is a very interesting point. So there is a person who is here. Uh, named Ashley Wade, who is credited as Whitney Houston. Mm. Whitney Houston, I think, is mentioned like once. She's mentioned once, and she's mentioned on TV in the background in a different scene that doesn't involve Bobby at all. Yes. So I'm wondering if legally they weren't really supposed to be talking about her very much or whatever. Like, I wasn't sure what the legalities were with that. Yeah. Um, But you never even see a representation of her face. You just see her from behind. Yeah, you see someone that has kind of longish hair Mm -hmm. that you kind of assume that is this person. But you know what's funny? Because I was trying to place it in time. Like, I don't, I didn't know offhand when Ronnie got married. And so I was like, is this like 98? Is it the late? Because I remember Whitney's hair from that era. His wedding, I think his wedding was 2006. Oh, okay. So then her hair does make sense. Because in the, right, I was... I just was trying to place it also because they played Jagged Edge. And so I was like, oh, this has got to be the early 2000s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that doesn't look like Whitney's hair. So who the hell is that? Right. Like, I just had a whole thought process of basically about her, um, the behind, like her non-faceless entity. Right. Um, also, the guy who plays uh, Jeepers, uh, Gerald, uh, Gerald Busby, who is the head guy at MCA, oh, yeah. and later he becomes the CEO of Motown. He's played by the singer Tank. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen Tank in about, <laughs> I don't even know how long. <laughs> I was like, this guy looks really familiar. And I'm just like, who is he? And then when I went and looked it up, I'm like, I deserve. That was that one song that I knew, <laughs> the one big single that he had. And he was really good in this movie. I didn't know yeah, he, he could was. act. No. I had no idea he Tank could act. Real good in this movie. Um, um, also, Tank's real name oh. is Darrell Babs. That- <laughs> well, there's a reason he's Tank's. They're, I would, they're Tank Tank's. I would change my name to Tank as yes, well. Yes, <laughs> 1,000%. Um, there's also, I believe this is the kid, uh, no, that's not who I'm looking at. Um, I'll be sure you noticed. Uh, yes. I don't, I'm not familiar with the actor who was playing him. Um, oh, honey, no, that was I'll be sure. Oh, you mean who he was playing? Albert Brown? No, no, no. The person who was playing I'll be sure is named Josh David. Oh, cause I have I'll be sure as somebody else. Huh. Well, Al, I think Al, Albert Brown is his actual name. Yeah, that's his real name. But the person who is playing him is somebody else. Because I'll be sure is a very old man. <laughs> Not very okay. old man, but like at the point where they're showing him. So then they fucked that up. Yeah, okay. on IMDb, they might have messed that up. Yeah, because he is 48 now. Right, and I was wondering, <laughs> okay. Um, but also I was, I was excited to see I'll be sure there. It, it just also shows what a small world Yes. R&B was back then. Yes. Like, everybody kind of knew each other. Right. Um, 
Like, you hear Curtis Blow, I'll right. be sure, Johnny Gill. Like, literally everyone sort of traveled in that same sphere. Right. So it was kind of cool to see how small that world was. Yeah. Let's see. Anything else? Ooh, this is, um, well, before I even say that, um, the guy who's playing Jimmy Jam, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Yes. Which I couldn't really tell because of his facial hair at first. But right. then when he well, started his talking. Hat is like halfway down his face. Yeah, and he's wearing like a huge hat in the Jimmy Jam style. Mm-hmm. But once I saw, like, once he started talking, I was like, that's Theo Huxtable. Yep. Um, so, <laughs> yes, to what I was going to say. So, in the middle of the program, or like in the middle of, or maybe oh, towards yes. the end of the second episode, yep. it's a three part miniseries. I don't know if I had said that. Um, there is an advertisement that is meant to be like a cross promotion between BET and the country and country music television. So they're both owned by Viacom. So they're like, Oh, are you enjoying this, uh, uh, this movie, whatever, whatever. If you enjoyed this after this ends, Mm -hmm. hop on over, Mm -hmm. head on down South, head on down South to CMT because now they have the show Nashville that originally used to be on ABC. Mm-hmm. They're going to start doing it on CMT. And I know this is because these two networks are under the same umbrella. Right. But I found it really insulting. Yeah. <laughs> because totally. I'm fairly certain, I'm fairly certain no one that was watch- is watching Nashville gives a shit Right, about New Edition. About New Edition yeah. and doesn't care about BET. Yeah. I don't know if they're trying to court people because it's a, oh, it's an hour-long drama. You guys are into Shonda Rhimes and those hour-long dramas mm-hmm. on ABC. Maybe you'll follow over to this. It just... You know what's funny, though? They'll follow Shonda... Or they're into Shonda Rhimes' stuff because Shonda Rhimes' stuff isn't just about white people and white people problems. And I know that like the things that are discussed in Nashville are not only like they're not just white people problems but the whole cat like are there any people are there black people in Nashville because I, feel... I don't remember maybe one maybe one or two and I think maybe one is mixed like I've seen it in and out throughout but there it's not a very diverse cast no. country music is not entirely is not always welcoming to brown folks yes and so like my I couldn't believe what I was seeing it just really it, it just it makes sense from, from a, a brand perspective, a brand perspective yeah. and from a network right. perspective. I would, but it just makes me angry. I think we discussed in the last episode the whole Beyonce mm-hmm. CMA thing, mm-hmm. the Country Music Awards thing. I don't, I, I've been watching a really awesome thing about this black group that was really awesome. I don't give two shits about the show Nashville. Right. I don't care. Right. Like, no, you're right. not getting my viewership. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. Because like, I'm, like, I, I'm like, I'm sure they're probably promoting the new edition story on CMT. But how many people that are watching that right. are crossing over to watch or putting on their calendar? Hey, I got to watch that new right. edition story. I would love to see what the number, the overlap in their audiences. I would, I would love, love to. Love I would love to, to know that. that. I, I want to know age and I want to know region and I want to know... 
Um, like stop to, stop asking me to support support your shit and you're not going to support ours. Right. Well, and not only just not support, but like be outwardly unwelcoming. Yeah. Right. Like an antagonistic Dixie chick thing. Yeah. yeah. Like and like, very antagonistic. How, how do you expect anybody who's watching B who's watching BET or New Edition right now to after especially after what took place at the AMAs? And I'm not saying that everybody loves Beyonce, but I feel like oh it's CMAs. Uh, sorry, um, the CMAs. Yeah. Like I um. I'm not saying everybody love everybody in the black community loves Beyonce. Like I am not dumb enough to think that. But after watching the reactions that she got from that audience and maybe inferring a few things or drawing some conclusions about whatever you want to, like in what world does somebody be somebody at BET other than knowing that there's a brain connection be like, yeah, my audience would totally want to go watch some shit about country music. Well, I I don't think there was really a, a choice in that. No, totally. I I don't think so. Also, at all, that's usually not how that works. Yeah, but it just still it's was just, very off putting. And it's very just like it's tacky. It's fucking tacky of uh, Nashville's promoters. Like I just feel I thought it was tone deaf. I thought it was super tone deaf. Yeah. Just by white people. It just, uh, yeah, I just ugh, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. So I really wanted to make sure I discussed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the last things I'll say about this production, another one of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. So they're on the Candy Girl tour and they're wearing uh, these like red sequin tuxes. And there's this amazing transition while they're singing. <gasps> yeah. As they're singing, their faces sort of morph into mm-hmm. their older selves, mm-hmm. like to show, like, okay, passage of time, they've gone from boys yes. to men. Yes. And it is one of the most awesome transitions yep. I've seen in any sort of television yeah. production. It was just smooth and great. It just was done really, yeah. really, really well. And it well. was also done in like a that time period type of production. You know, like it's the type of thing where you see in a music video, they would use it to to hit home a very specific kind of point. Yes. And that was, they just, they they employed it here, deployed it here to great effect. Yeah, it's like the the little kids are like kind of singing themselves Mm -hmm. off the stage. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Okay, um, we have hit an hour and 45. Ooh. Uh, Wow. Double, almost double episode. Yeah. We had a lot to talk about. We had a lot to talk about. And I feel like we, we could probably keep talking about this for a while. <laughs> I could, we could probably spend another half hour talking yeah. about Michael Rappaport. Oh, jeez. That's like the last thing I ever want to talk about, literally ever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Cool. I think we're going to wrap it up here. So, uh, so like I said, the, sh- the miniseries has already aired, but BET is airing it again on President's Day, February 20th, and they're showing it back to back. It's three, like, hour and 20-minute episodes. Yeah. I mean, counting commercials. After commercials. If you can fast forward through commercials, it's really, it's not three hours an episode. Exactly. Um, The pacing is actually really great. Yeah. Uh, In the first episode, the uh, commercial transitions are a little weird, but they get better Mm -hmm. uh, with the two other episodes. And it starts at 3 p.m. and that's Eastern time. But it's also, it's like six hours or you know five and change that you don't really notice yeah you're spending yeah exactly it flies by you get so engrossed in the movie it's so good it's yeah it's really good so i mean if you don't get a chance to watch it live dvr it faster forward through the commercials um also a note for uh the the guy who directed it chris robinson is a very well-known um 
music video director. He directed One Mic by Nas, uh, Bonnie and Clyde 2003 with uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce, uh, You Don't Know My Name by Alicia Keys, and Fallen, he directed that too. And he also directed the movie ATL, uh, the big boy and uh, TI movie. Mm -hmm. So I think I knew from when I saw that he directed, I was like, okay, stylistically, this is going to look great. Wasn't sure how it was going to be otherwise. I was just like, all right. I think this is going to be good. Yeah. This is going to be really, really good. Excellent. He needs to go back and they, BET needs to redo the TLC story. Yes. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I really wish, because that movie was terrible. It needs to be in the hands of somebody who like Yeah. Knows. It was really, really bad. So and TLC deserves so much better. They do. They do. Like, I would be interested in seeing him do a Missy Elliott biopic. Yes. yes. Like, if they are thinking about biopics to do do a Missy Elliott one because that would be freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're done. Awesome. Nice job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for stepping in and uh, talking about this with me. You are welcome. I hope um, I hope I did everyone proud. I hope it's just as good I, as the one we lost. You know what? I think you did everyone proud and New Edition proud. Oh gosh. Thanks. Sorry, but not Bobby. He's trash. I live, I'll miss you forever, Whitney. <laughs> Amen, sister friend. Um, is there anywhere that you want people to find you on the social media? Nope, I'm good. You're good? <laughs> hey, that's fine. Maybe at some point. Run incognito. I do Actually, not you can find me at my name. Um, it's wide open. Most of the time I talk about music. Occasionally, very occasionally, there's something banking related uh, shoved in there. But on it's Twitter? On Twitter, yeah. And my name is Tana Timeson. Um, probably sound that out or just type in Tana or you can find it through Eatin' This Bitch because uh, we're friends. Yes. Um, so yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Snapchat. Only nice pictures, please. No nudes because that's I, I don't need that in my life. Um, and Twitter at Eatinist Bitch. That's E-A-T-I-N-I-S-T Bitch. All one word, lowercase. Uh, and that's where you can find me. So... Once again, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you love this episode. I know it's real long, but I think it's going to be, I think it's a good one. Mm-hmm. I, think it's a, I would agree. I think yeah. it's a good one. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to say goodnight and we'll see you next time here on Black Famous. Say bye, Tana. Bye. Bye.